Welcome to the A-Game Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Naked War Recovery CBD, owned by Navy SEAL, William Brandon. Go check it out. Go to nicknicknick.com slash links. Under that, you will see the affiliates tab, and you can click on there to get my discounted CBD. Navy SEAL-owned company, great guy, great product, pure CBD. No THC will not get you high, but it will help all those nagging aches and pains. If you are a weightlifter, athlete, or jiu-jitsu guy, and you have not tried a good quality CBD for 30, 60 days, not that gas station crap, but actual good drops or gummies or something you're taking consistently for 30 to 60 days, you will see all those nagging aches and pains start to go away. I feel it's a miracle drug. Their site is growing every single day. So click on there and use promo code AGAME when you go to checkout to get 20% off and annoy your orders at Naked War Recovery CBD. Also, go to nicknicknick.com or go to nicknicknick.com slash links and look at some of the options we have first off to get a free ebook. So um, it's a great intro read. If you're getting into real estate, if you're in real estate, you're looking to be an investor, you want to understand some of the things that you should be aware of or some of the things you should be monitoring to figure out what has changed or what is going to change or what's a big deal if it does change because of what's happened with the pandemic in the last year, what's going on with COVID, what's going on with the real estate market, what things are big deals, what things are not a big deal. It's a nice, easy, quick read. It's a free ebook. So go check that out. Uh, how the pandemic has changed the real estate market. What every, every investor needs to know. It's free on our site, nicknicknick.com. Get your free ebook. It's a little bit of money. Uh, Amazon, but jump on and get that. But while you're there, most importantly, especially if you're listening to this for the first time and you're a jiu-jitsu guy, an MMA guy, a boxer, a, a grappler, whatever it is, and you're looking to get more time to concentrate on your craft, that you want to spend more time rolling and competing or, or sparring or fighting or, or you know, you're having trouble splitting time and you need to figure out a way to make your money work for you so you can do more time doing the stuff that you love. Real estate has been the answer for many, many people to finding that path to financial freedom so you can enjoy your time doing the things you love. Like, for instance, anybody who's listening that's part of the Grappling Central podcast group, um, you know, again, you want to spend more time on the mat and not have to go to that day job and split that time. Let's figure out how to start to make your money work for you. Get you into some properties, get you into some real estate, build up some assets on your books this year. It's 2021 first quarter. We can figure it out whether you're new, intermediate or experienced, whether you're just starting out or you want to get into some rentals, uh, some cash flow properties, some small stuff, some big stuff, multifamily, land development, uh, fix and flips, any types of properties, we can figure it out. So if you're starting out, you don't even know where you're starting out. You just want to have a conversation. Let's link up and figure it out. If you're intermediate and you want to scale up or you just want to figure out a way to kind of work together, you don't even really know what you want to do. Let's do it. Let's start to have that conversation. If you want to buy properties from me, I can sell you properties that are good cash flow properties, good fix and flip opportunities, good commercial cash flow properties. If you want to buy properties from me, we always have good inventory. If you want to find a way to partner and work together on some stuff because that's how you feel safer, we can do that as well. But let's get that conversation going. My phone's ringing more and more. My email is podcast at nicknicknick.com. Is, uh, is getting a lot more hits about people starting the conversations. It was awesome connecting with my buddies, Yuri from BJJ Lab Naperville this week, uh, talking to him about some real estate. Uh, talking to my buddy, Big Gil, Gil Renchek. Um, he's a Sarah Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Uh, follow Gil, B-I-G underscore G-U-Y underscore J-I-T-S-U on Instagram. And Yuri, follow Yuri Shipley, S-H-P-Y-L-E-I underscore B-J-J on Instagram too. Two big, strong, good guys that love Jiu-Jitsu that have, uh, I've been known for a while now. So Let's start those conversations, but definitely I don't bite. Let's reach out. Let's have a conversation. Um, this was a really cool podcast for me to do. Uh, it was with uh, Ryan Ford, who is the host of the Grappling Central podcast. 
I, I'm pretty sure it's the biggest, if not one of the biggest, uh, jujitsu BJJ grappling podcast that there is. This guy has interviewed everybody. Super cool guy. Um, knows a lot of all the same people, plus so many more people than I do. He's inter- he's interviewed the best, of the best, the biggest names in the sport, legends, and uh, you know he understands hard work. He understands what it takes to put on a podcast. Um, he's going to be at almost 500 episodes soon. And, uh, you know, he's done it all. He, and his story is pretty awesome. He's got that true entrepreneurial spirit that he came from a very bad spot and took a shot. You'll hear a little bit of his story of where he was and what made him decide to start to be an entrepreneur and take a shot at doing the podcast and, and give a better life for him and his family. And that's obviously worked out. So we talk a lot about that. We go over a bunch of different things. So yes, it's definitely a, a jujitsu heavy podcast, but uh, for the people listening to this, you want to listen to it anyway, because there's a lot of great lessons and a lot of great similarities uh, for being an entrepreneur that he does go and he talks about. Um, his thing just happens to fall very well into what we talk about a lot on this on this podcast, because obviously I talk to a lot of uh, jiu-jitsu guys and a lot of entrepreneurs, and I keep saying how there's so many similarities. So um, this was a great episode that you could take a lot of lessons from, even if you are not a jiu-jitsu guy. Um, we talk about him being bullied when he was younger. We talk about the connections that being in jiu-jitsu has helped him on and off the mats, doing tournaments, uh, helping your social circles, how it's helped him on and off personally, uh, physically, mentally, uh, friends, everything, just you know, the better mental and physical health that the, the people that he's met from this sport and these worlds and these circles have been around, being around healthier-minded people. Um, we talk about how it's easy to tell who's naughty and nice. Jiu-jitsu is almost like a giant Santa Claus. You know, you make one call, somebody knows if that's a good guy or a bad guy. It, it's very hard to hide when you've been on the mats for that long time. Uh, we talk about training in Brazil versus training in the U.S. We talk about rolling versus drilling. Uh, how you're turning the nicest of people into killers is an amazing thing that jiu-jitsu gets to do is turn these unassuming, quiet guys into people that are just deadly weapons, but they know how to control it. Uh, we discuss about specifically Paul Creighton. Uh, we talk about Matt Serra. We talk about Henzo Gracie. We talk a lot about Kurt Osiander um, and a bunch of other jiu-jitsu guys that are, uh, that are very close to me and close to him. That was really cool. We talk about Marcelo Garcia. Um, a few other guys and, uh, my cousin, his gym over there, SBG Athens, go check that out. Uh, we talk about him turning his tragedy into one of the biggest things is life, the evolution of jujitsu, uh, and a whole lot more. So it was a great talk. It was a great, great catching up. We went for about an hour and a half, could have talked to him for much longer. His camera wasn't working, but we got some great audio in there. So, um, I think this will be a fun conversation for anybody. If you're a podcaster, there's great lessons on podcasting, the work that goes into doing it. If you're an entrepreneur, there's great entrepreneurial lessons. There's great jujitsu lessons. Anybody who's a jujitsu casual, jujitsu diehard, you're going to enjoy this episode as well. Um, so check that out. Um, you'll see in the show notes to follow Ryan. But there was also some really good people. You know, obviously, Sarah Jiu-Jitsu, um, SarahBJJ.com. Definitely, if you're on Long Island, that's the place to go. Check it out. Go see Matt Sarah. Uh, go train some jujitsu over there. If you want to do some striking, go to Law MMA. Uh, Trim, Ray Longo, and Chris Weidman. Uh, if you're in the city, HenzoGracieAcademy.com. You can go and you can see all the different academies that Henzo Gracie has across the entire country. He's got stuff everywhere. Um, Ryan trains with uh, Paul Creighton. So I do want to give a shout out to him. So if you're in the Atlanta area and you go to uh, PaulCreighton.com, C-R-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, P-A-U-L, C-R-E-I-G-H-T-O-N.com. That is Paul Creighton's gym. He is a legit black belt. I hear nothing but great things. Um, from Matt Sarah and from a whole bunch of other different guys um, that know him. And obviously my cousin's gym, sbgathens.com, S-B-G-A-T-H-E-N-S.com. If you're in the Chicago area, definitely go to bjjlabnaperville.com with Mark Turner and Brad Johns, train over there. And last but not least, if you are in the Northern California area, definitely 
go check out Empire BJJ with uh, our buddy Kurt Osiander. Uh, EmpireBJJ.com is where you can go find that out. So Long Island, check out Sarah's. City, check out Hensel Gracie's. Atlanta, check out Paul Creighton. Athens, check out SBG Athens. And Northern San Francisco, go check out Empire BJJ. So I know that was a little bit long, but I think you guys will love this episode. And thank you for listening. I appreciate guys like Gil and Yuri and all the people that have been reaching out to me. I look forward to talking to more and more people as the week goes by. If you're looking to uh, have me on your podcast as a guest, or you know anybody who might be a good guest for this show, podcast at nicknicknick.com. Reach out to me. Let's book it up. Thank you again, Ryan Ford. And I'm looking forward to hearing him interview my buddy, Billy Grazade from Powerful and Biohazard. That's going to be a great episode. All the show notes to follow, grapplingcentral.com. Uh, you can see all the things for his podcast on there too. Check it out. It's an outstanding podcast. Great guest, great host, great guy. Check it out. <laughs>
you know, I, I'm just a brown belt in Atlanta. I, I figured no one really, really cares about me that much. It's more about who I'm interviewing. You know, I try, I try to get these, uh, these people who I admire and respect a great deal to talk about, you know, their journey and sort of advice that they can give to people, myself included. A lot of times when I'm asking questions, it's also for me. It's not just for the listeners. It's, you know, there's a lot of uh, general curiosity I have about, about advice they can give um, that, that's, a, that's applicable to me also. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, when, when, it, when, it, when it comes back to me personally in any way, it is, it is kind of, it does kind of trip me out a little because it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's unexpected, you know? No, I get it, man. I'm, I'm the same way every time uh, I'll get guests and they'll say, hey, was they talking too much? I'm like, dude, you're, you're the star of this show. I'm just here <laughs> yeah, to, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, there's a, I, I always have like, you, you probably have been through this too, but I have like such a long list of questions. And when I first book something, I'm like, man, how am I going to come up with an hour of conversation? And then by the time <laughs> the episode's about there, I'm like, how am I going to get through all this yeah. stuff that I have? You know, it's crazy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, obviously jujitsu is one of these things where like, I just had Sean Patrick Flannery on and I was like, let's talk about movies first. Cause if we don't, we're never going to get to the other stuff because we'll just go on this for like hours and stuff. But <laughs> yeah. um, I'm always interested, you know, obviously jujitsu has been a, a massive part of your life and your identity and who you are. Why jujitsu? Did you start out with other martial arts and what was it about jujitsu that made it stick out as the one you wanted to focus on? Yeah, man. So, you know, so I actually, so I was into martial arts uh, since I was a very, very little kid uh, and it all started with the Ninja Turtles. And uh, so I, I was j jumping off the sofa and mimicking what they were doing. I was probably like three years old, four years old. And I remember specifically, I broke something. I can't remember. I mean, it might've been a lamp or something like that. And my parents are like, all right, we got to get this kid into, into something. So, so they took me up to the YMCA and, uh, and, and uh, I did like a kitty karate class at like three or four years old. And uh, my ADD, even to this day is, is pretty bad, but as a kid, it was just off the charts. And, um, and so I, I wasn't able to stick in, in with it long, just because I think I was a little overwhelming uh, to, to try to, you know, wrangle as a kid. But then as I got a little older, uh, when I, when I was in about third grade, uh, I ended up getting into Taekwondo. Um, and then uh, I did that for a while and I was pretty, you know, I was a real small kid. Like for my, for my age, like now I'm like six feet, 190 or whatever. But as a kid up until like late high school, I was like half the size of everybody else. Uh, made talking to girls impossible in high school, <laughs> but uh, but then before that, like you know, if I was if if I was in the you know a sixth grade class, I looked like I should have been in the fourth grade class, and so uh, so you know so I, I you know I got picked on a little bit in school. I also had kind of a smart mouth, so that I kind of brought it on myself a lot. But um, but you know I I, I my, my parents felt that it was important that I did some sort of martial arts to have some confidence and self defense and just be active. And so, uh, so Taekwondo is kind of where I landed. And um, of all things, there was a there was a video rental store that was right on the other side of the wall from our dojo um, that rented VHS tapes out back in the early '90s, and um, and they had the uh, the UFC tapes. And you know, as a kid, I was there's two huge things I was into. I was into anything martial arts. So, you know, Power Rangers, Ninja Turtles, uh, the blood sport, any, any, any kind of stuff like that. The other trail was, uh, was professional wrestling. Like I was massive uh. into pro wrestling as a kid and that stayed with me all through high school even. Um, and so, uh, so, so I was real into professional wrestling and my dad saw the UFC tapes in this video rental store after, after we were done, uh, after I was done with class and, uh, and he said, Hey, right, come check this out. You know, look at this. This is like a, it's, it's like a martial arts thing, but they're in like a cage and it's like real and it's not, it's, you know, and he was, he was always kind of like, you know, trying to tiptoe around the fact that pro wrestling is not real and trying to not spoil it for me until I got a little older. But, uh, but so then he said, yeah, this is real. Like it's, it's actual, like, you know, martial arts fighting and stuff. And so we rented it. And, uh, and then that was my first exposure to jujitsu because I, you know, I saw Hoist Gracie go out and do his thing. And, uh, and I remember specifically at the time that like, I, I was really, even as a little kid, 
I was like really impressed because when I saw Hoist, I was like, oh man, well, you know, you got like Ken Shamrock and the sumo guy and like all these like big, scary kind of looking dudes. And then you got Hoist. I mean, Hoist looked like the, looked like our, our next door neighbor who worked at the post office, you know? And, <laughs> and so he just looked like a really unassuming dude. And, um, and then uh, he goes out there and he does his thing. And I was all of a sudden just enamored, like, oh my God, like he beat everybody. Like, how did he, how did he do this? You know? And, and, and even the announcers at the time, if you go back and listen to the first or watch the first UFCs, like they didn't even quite know what they were looking at. Like, oh, he's looks like he's, oh, he's sitting on his chest and doing something. They don't really even know what to say because jujitsu was just this new thing uh, in the martial arts landscape of the United States at the time. And um and ever since then, I was like, man, I really want to learn jujitsu. But this was 90. By the time I saw the tapes, it was 94. Uh, and there was just was no jujitsu uh, where I lived at all. Uh, it wouldn't be until years later that uh, Jacare Kovalkanchi was the first uh, you know, the, the leader of Alliance. He, he came to Atlanta eventually in the late 90s. Um, but it was a while before I ever even got to start, but that was my introduction to jujitsu and my, and I had followed MMA. Of course, at that time it was called NHB and I was really into that. And I had all the black belt magazines and I really kept up with it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it wasn't until I was 20, just before my 21st birthday that I started doing jujitsu and actually finding a place to train. Nice. And then you, you got what we call the bug, I guess, from there, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a pretty, a pretty heavy addiction ever since, but uh, <laughs> it's been, you know, it's, it's been the greatest thing that's ever happened to me though. I think that, uh, you know, jujitsu by nature, it, it puts you face to face with yourself. And I think, especially for guys, it's really important because guys, we all, you know, we all have testosterone and we all, whether you're trained or not, we all like to tell ourselves that we're capable and that we're tough and that we can, you know, we know how to handle ourselves. And then you go into a jujitsu class and you get choked out by like, you know, 130 pound girl or like a, you know, like a computer programmer that has never been in a fist fight in his life. He just destroys you and you realize, okay, you know what? I, I'm really not that, that bad as I thought I was. And it really keeps you looking at yourself through a lens of, um, of honesty. And, and it kind of makes you look at yourself in raw form. And then it's really difficult. I mean, it's really, really hard to become good at jujitsu. It takes a long time to not suck so bad anymore. And, um, and it takes a certain amount of perseverance to, to, to get through the beatings that you take and the, and the smashings and the driving home after class, feeling like you want to feel like you want to pout because you, you know, you got beat up and, you know, it really does build tr a tremendous amount of character. And that's something I, I desperately needed growing up. Um, and I, you know, thankfully I found it, I found it. I, I wish I'd found it a little earlier because I, I did go through a pretty, um, um, uh, colorful youth, I'll call it. Um, and, you know, but ultimately it's, it's made me the person I am today and my life would not be what it is today if it, if it wasn't for me walking on the mats. Man, I a hundred percent second all that. I think that's amazing. And it, it's, it's weird. Cause I, I know a lot of most people that I talk to that are in jujitsu have started from other martial arts because I mean, I guess the generation now will be different because they will come up doing MMA and jujitsu, but I haven't had people that are like, man, like Taekwondo is what changed my life forever. You know, it's usually like a, a, a gateway. All, all these yeah. other martial arts are like a gateway drug <laughs> to jujitsu. But, you know, some people are like, well, you're just biased about jujitsu. I'm like, no, man, I think you just haven't tried it yet because you would absolutely feel the same way. Like I've watched it change people's circles, their attitude, their friends, their, their wild, like everything changes when that kind of locks in, you find your, your people. And I think even something like this, where it's given me, when I, when I reach out to somebody, like for instance, like a Sean Patrick Flannery or you or, or, or somebody that I'm just looking to connect with and immediately I'm like, hey man, like I'm a black belt under Matt Sarah and they're like, hey, I'm a black belt under Damian Meyer or, or a brown belt, you know, it, you immediately know something about that person that yeah. they worked to get there and they're not afraid to put the time in and put the reps in and it immediately just tells you something about their character that you, 
you just know you have something in common with that person. It just tells you something about what they're made of, of like, this is my kind of guy. Like, and I found it to be, I keep saying it, but I, I consider jujitsu the new golf. You know, I'm a business guy. Everybody always wants to go play golf. This is where they make their relationships. This is how they yeah. connect. And I'm like, man, I can't tell you the doors that have opened just because I'm like, hey man, I do jujitsu. I train with Matt Serra and people are like, holy shit, I love jujitsu or I love Matt Serra. I'm a blue belt, I'm a purple belt. And it's, it's just opened so many opportunities personally and professionally. Um, what are, what, what's one of the biggest um, opportunities or, or experiences you've gotten through jujitsu? Oh, I mean, without question, the podcast, you know, because I mean, yeah, the, the, the thing about the podcast is that I was, um, I, I was, so I've been training for about 15 years with a couple breaks in between. I took a two, two years off um, uh, to, to, to work to get my wife, my wife, it's kind of a long story, but my wife got stuck in Brazil while we were dating. She had a student visa and she went back to visit her family and then they wouldn't renew it when she came back. She was trying to try to finish up her semester in college and they wouldn't renew it for whatever reason. So she got stuck. So I had to take like two years off to to work full time to be able to qualify to to sponsor her to come back as my fiance because I was I was actually going to propose to her right when she got back and then she got stuck down there so it's just this whole dude it was it was a nightmare and uh, and so we dealt with that for two years I couldn't really train for about a year and a half of that period um, just because at the time I did not uh, qualify to financially to to sponsor somebody so I had to work like two back to back jobs for a couple of years. Uh, and then I went to college a little for a short period. I attempted college, I should say, uh, early or like as a white belt. And then uh, during COVID, I've had I've had about a year. I just got back to the mats last week after about a nine to ten month layoff because of COVID. Um, but uh, yeah, so my point is, I've been training fifteen years in total. If you start from the day I walked in till today, it's been about fifteen years. And uh, and so I've, I've I've had the 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 great benefit of being able to travel and and compete and meet people and and like you said, like you make connections with other jujitsu people really easily. Like it's you know even when you go to tournaments, like it's almost guaranteed you're going to have new friends that, you know, once you guys are done competing, you guys probably keep in touch online and stuff and come to each other's open mats and stuff like that. And you just, you know, there's this real camaraderie within jujitsu, even though um, you might represent a different flag when you compete. And, um, and so, you know, I've, I've had the, the, the pleasure of going to seminars and all that kind of stuff. So I just always, I, I've always found myself in a situation where if I want to get someone on the show, I know the right person to talk to to get them. Um, and so that's been, that's been a huge, a huge benefit because, you know, we, we, when I launched the podcast, I kicked down the doors with, with some pretty impressive um, guests that I had on. And that was all due to just connections I'd made with, with friends of jujitsu and training and, and visiting places and, and everything else. So, uh, so by far the podcast would be the best, would be the best uh, example of that. That's awesome, man. You know, and obviously I, I got my black belt under Matt Serra, but I train a lot in Chicago at the BJJ lab with Mark Turner. And he says a lot of great things about you. Oh, dude, Mark's awesome. How'd you link up with him? Dude, Mark. So I knew, I, I, so I know Mark, uh, I've had Mark on the podcast a few years ago. And so when I, when I'm down in Brazil, I train, as you know, I train at Damian Maya's when I'm down there. Um, and so, you know, I know I'm well aware of Damian's black belts that are in the U S like Daniel Perez and Mark and, and those guys. And so, uh, so then I had, I had him on the show and when, when I was interviewing Mark, it just felt like we'd already known each other for like a year. It was just a really, really instant, like we instantly hit it off really well and had tons of stories to share because, you know, he's obviously spent a lot of time down there with Damian too, and way more than I have. Um, and so, uh, so he had all kinds of just stories for days that were really funny and we were, uh, yeah. And then, then that led to, to me linking up with other people people through, through Damien's um, affiliation as well, but it's actually cool. Uh, so you're, you're a black belt under Matt, Sarah, Matt, Matt was one of my very early episodes too. My, my instructor is Paul Creighton, who's, who's a black sure. belt under Henzo and he, him and Matt are like best friends. I don't know if you know Paul. <laughs> yeah. But him yeah he, and, loves, he loves Paul. 
Yeah, yeah, Matt and Matt, Matt and Matt and Paul are like like best friends, and so uh, so, it's, so that's a great example. I mean, you you meet like you and I meet, and it turns out our instructors are like best friends from like training together in the '90s at Henzo's in New York, and then now you know Mark Turner too, and 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 so do I. So it's it's a very interconnected community once you get to once you get to know the the the, the people involved, and uh, and that's been one of the coolest things about this is just that you know it once you once you start meeting people and getting around, they introduce you to other people, and and you realize, I mean, this is a very very, very um, tightly knit uh, community of people, you know, and, and the best thing about it, you mentioned like your, how it cleans up social circles and, and things like that. It does a lot of uh, personal impacts on people's, um, uh, the people they associate with. And the, the, the reason I, I, I agree with that so much and, and appreciate it so much is that, you know, we mentioned that by nature, jujitsu kind of crushes your ego and makes you face yourself in raw form. And you, it's, it's, it mean, you, you meet healthier minded people in jujitsu. And so as you get involved and you meet and make these connections that you and I are, are highlighting here, you're, you're meeting more and more people with healthy attitudes and healthy mindsets and uh, who are disciplined and who, who are goal oriented. And, uh, and, and it really, man, it really does just impact your whole, your whole social circle, like you said, man, and in a really good way. So. Yeah, man. I, and like you said, the, the way you can talk to somebody and say like, Hey man, this guy's cool with this guy. It goes the other way too. I, I rarely hear it. You know, um, usually people are pretty cool, but if somebody's a dick or, or not somebody that you want to train with or a gym you want to go to, like that spreads really fast too. You know, oh, like Matt's, Matt's not going to give his seal of approval on somebody. Like he's, he's a straight shooter. And I know um, my cousin actually is the one who first mentioned Paul Creighton. And then I ran him by Matt, but my cousin is a co-owner of uh, the hardcore gym. It's uh, actually, I guess it's now it's SPG Athens. Oh yeah. Cool. So, Who's your cousin, man? Lucas Federico, he co-owns owns it with uh, Rory and Adam Singer out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah, dude. Rory, Rory and Adam are good, good friends of mine. Those are great, great guys, man. Yeah, yeah. They and they've produced some. They've produced some killers out of it. That's where Forrest Griffin and uh, Brian Bowles and uh, man, there's been a, there's been a ton of really really great guys out of that gym. But yeah, they're yeah, good people, man. So that's cool. Your cousin's up there. That's awesome. Yeah, man. And you know, everybody's got great things to say about Paul Crate. That's really cool. So. You know, it is, it is, uh, it's an easy way to just make a call for a guy who can make a call and find out like thumbs up or thumbs down pretty quick. So yeah. you got to always carry yourself the right way when you're, you know, you and I both traveling, doing jiu-jitsu all around. Um, but you did mention you were in Brazil. I'm, I'm always interested in what differences do you see? Because I think like when we first started out and you hear about like Matt Sarah would talk about how he went to Brazil and trained, you think that it's this other like they train different. There's all these special secrets you don't know about. Like they're in some <laughs> caves. Like, you, just, you know, it's, it's a different thing. And then usually when you walk into academy and you start rolling, a lot of it's all the same thing. Just like when you're at a tournament, like this guy's going to know something I don't. And then you lock up, you're like, it's totally. all the same stuff. What yeah. have you noticed as the differences between uh, not only training from country to country, but around domestically around the U.S. for differences in gyms? Yeah, no, it's a great question, man. And yeah, and yeah, you you hit it on the head, man. I, I think that nowadays, if you if if you're a, if you're a, a jujitsu guy in the U.S. and you go to Brazil to train, you'll you'll find that it, the level the level of jujitsu is, is pretty much even across the board. You know, as far as as far as the technique, um, and uh, I think that maybe back in the day before YouTube and before uh, like in streaming instructional videos and uh, streaming footage of matches and things like that, there were there were certain gyms that sort of had little things in their back pocket. Like for example, if you if you train outside of uh say like ricardo daily heva's academy you might not be as adept with the um the, the daily heva guard as other people might be or if you trained in a place where you know they were they were you know they, they were developing a specific style of their own um 
you know, you, they may have a little bit of secrets or some things that, that you wouldn't see until they used it in a tournament on you. And then you kind of be like, damn, dude. And then you try to dissect it with your friends back home. But nowadays with the internet, I mean, you can see everything. There's not really any more secrets in jujitsu. And if there is, they don't last long. You know, it's, 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 it's the kind of thing where once it's out there, it's, it, it gets in the hands of everybody. And, and that's really been, uh, had, a, had a big hand in, in sort of growing the overall level of jujitsu around the world. Um, I would say the big differences between training in the U.S. and Brazil from my personal experience. So uh, where I train at Creighton MMA, it's, it's a really, really solid team. We've got a lot of great competitors, several world and Pan Ams champions and, and a bunch of MMA fighters and, and all that. So it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a lead. It's not like a, um, uh, like a, like a, um, what's the best way to say it? I guess, I guess it's not like a really uh, hobbyist sort of school there. There's a lot of hobbyists there, myself included, but there's also a lot of guys that are really competitive and active and stuff like that. Um, so, so when I went to Brazil, what I found is that the, I guess the percentage uh, from where I was training anyway, I trained at Damien's. I also trained a little bit at Bar uh, Marco Barbosa's. Um, and I found that there's a lot more guys who seem to be tr going after this as a lifestyle, as a, as a career path. So there's a lot of guys that are, that are, that are competing a lot, uh, in hopes of getting, um, you know, a name out there for themselves and being able to get to the U S maybe and open a school. So, so, so there's, it, it, there's, I guess the classes there's a little bit more intensity in some of the, in some of the classes I was going to, as opposed to like, if you just walked into a normal Academy here on a Tuesday, um, you know, there, and of course it depends where you train. There's obviously some schools that are going to be, you know, insanely tough no matter where you go. But, um, but yeah, there's a pace that they keep down there. That's really heavy um, throughout the whole time. That's Monday through Friday. Uh, and then um, as far as the technique though, I mean, yeah, it's not like I got down there and there was like this level that was just like, you know, unheard of. It was like, okay, yeah, these guys are really, really competitive and really, really talented. Like, like a lot of my teammates are. Um, but the classes are a little longer. I noticed like they do like a, like a two hour training instead of an hour. Uh, so, so instead of having back-to-back -back hour long classes, there's like these two hour training sessions and then the heat, man. I think the big thing is the heat. <laughs> yeah. Like, so there's no, there's no, uh, there's no AC in Brazil. I mean, there's AC like in, in if you have a lot of money and, and a nice house, you can, I guess you can have an, an AC system installed. And of course, if you go to like Walmart or a hotel or something, they usually have AC. Uh, but most gyms do not have a, a central air. They have, they have a, a window open, maybe if you're lucky and maybe a fan or two. Uh, so if you're training in a gi and it's 115 or 110 or whatever it is in the middle of the summer, uh, that takes getting used to, uh, so you have to make sure you're hydrated and, you know, try to keep yourself cool. Um, but, uh, but yeah, besides that, man, I mean, you know, I, I think the one thing technically that, that the U S has over Brazil in my experience is, uh, the leg lock game. Like we've, we've, we've really taken the leg, obviously due to people like John Danaher and, and Dean Lister, there's, there's a lot, there's, there's a, there's a, um, uh, a really high level of leg lock, uh, application in the U S that, that people are really, um, becoming very uh formidable with and in brazil that seems like they're they're catching up a little bit on it they are the cool thing was is when i was at damien's like a lot of guys would say like hey man do you know any leg lock stuff you can show me because like they're all they're all like oh, they're all about it man they're, they're they're stoked to learn it uh but it's something you could tell that was um that was maybe something that they just weren't doing at, at, a, at with the same enthusiasm as we were here uh so but besides that i'd, I'd say man it's, it's pretty even across the board as far as technique and the overall level you know uh, just, I would say that a lot of schools um, down there train with a real um, competitive intensity uh, 
kind of across the board from from the places I dropped into. Uh, and then the classes are a little longer and then it's really, really hot. So <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I did a, I did some privates with Muhammad Ali at it. Oh, nice. his place. And up oh, through the guys. Oh, he's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, he was telling me when he came over to the U S he told them like, Hey, I'm going to go to, to the U S I'm going to train jujitsu. And they were like, you're going to leave Brazil and go learn jujitsu from Americans. And they, they were like looking down on him for it. But he was like, the biggest thing I saw was, He's like, when I was training in Brazil, you learn a technique for like five, 10 minutes and it's slap hands and you just roll for hours. Yes. He's like, in here we would come, he's like, and they were just drilling the technique and the fundamentals. He's like, and you were really digging deeper into like how to do the move and, you know, just drilling, 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 which he said he wasn't getting over there. And, you know, obviously it's working out for him, but, but those types of things I'm always interested in to see like, oh yeah, you know, I never even thought of that. Like how that would look the other way, you know? Yeah, no, I'm actually glad you said that. Cause that's something, yeah, that, that's something I, 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 I forgot to mention that, that what he, what Muhammad said is absolutely true. So I did notice that once you're in the advanced class, they don't do as much drilling. They just do a lot of rolling. So like, for example, we would do like uh, at Damien's, we would do like a, um, at the, in the advanced class, we do like maybe at 10 minutes of warm up and the warm up is usually you know some some conditioning stuff and then they'd maybe do a technique or two and drill that for just maybe five minutes and then everyone would just get their mouthpieces and we'd roll for like two hours straight <laughs> so you put in like you know 15 rounds or whatever of just rolling 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 and 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 that that's something yeah I, I can attest to that as well it seems like it seems like um the it's a cultural thing i think where they just they just want to roll and develop the skill and sharpen the sword uh, and here we, I think in the U S we have a, a tendency to systemize things. We want, we want to systemize things and kind of, um, drill little pieces and put the pieces together and then have sort of a, um, like a, like a forward progression of how we use this with other things now. And I, we just want to see, I think Americans tend to want to systemize things. And, and I think there's, I think there's, there's merit for both. I mean, obviously, um, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're on the extreme of either, of either, uh, of either way of thinking there. I think that there can be benefits and drawbacks. Um, I like, I like being able to really um, have a comprehensive uh, um, game set that I can lay out and, and things that I can apply to my, to my game that, that, you know, that I can develop specifically and really zoom in on. And then I like to be able to also get plenty of rolling because at the end of the day, you can sit there and study something on paper or, you know, uh, you know, do, do reps with a, co a cooperative partner for hours on end, but until you've actually battle tested it, so to speak, uh, where you've put it under pressure in a live role against someone who's really resisting you and trying not to let you do things to them. That's when you really develop the, the neurological connections that you need to, to find the little, the little, uh, 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 cues and trigger points of when to attack for something and when to, you know, isolate a limb or, or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, so, so there's, there definitely needs to be a balance, but yeah, I, I found, I, I agree with Muhammad Ali for sure that in Brazil, I noticed that it's not so much drilling and and in, in, in theory as much as just just train and just just rolling for a long time so uh so yeah that, i'd say that's accurate i agree man there's there's a balance and i think that's always been the struggle of you know especially when you when you're not able to train full-time because you have a job or you got to do other stuff and then it's like it's, it's very hard when you only have like an hour and a half maybe a few days a week to justify like drilling for 45 minutes and then right. going home when it's like, man, I got 40, I just want to go roll. I like, I want to get my aggression out yeah. and then I just want to, you know, get out of here. And then, uh, you know, so I, I just actually had Jason Rao on and we were talking about like, you know, each day you ask him one day, it's like, no, no, no drill. And then the next day it's like, no, nah, man, you got to roll. So it's always, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's situational and it's always going to be a, 
a, a moving target for what's the right balance there. Oh, dude, for sure. That's awesome. You get to train with train with Jason, man. He's a beast. In fact, you, you and I, you and I have a mutual friend uh, who's here who's here at Creighton with us now, uh, Fireman Tony. Fireman uh, Anthony. Yeah. Fireman Anthony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthony Budion, really good dude. One of my good buddies, man. He's he's helped me a lot with my game. But he, man, he always sings uh, sings Jason's praises, man. Just talks about what a, what a, what a monster Jason Rao is, and uh, so that's that's super cool. You get to train with him, man. But uh, dude, would you tell that guy to get a freaking social media? I've been wanting to connect with him. Like, I can never. He just show. I'll see him rant. Randomly at Sarah's, like when we're both over Thanksgiving or something. Yeah. I talk to him for 10 minutes and then we we get separated because he's rolling with other guys and then he's gone. I don't see him again for like two years. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's great. I think he's on Facebook, but I think he's under his, uh, his school. And he just opened a new school here, uh, wow. j- just a little bit outside of Atlanta called iron horse, iron horse jujitsu. Wow, and, cool. um, and he's got, yeah, he's got like a nice, a nice little team growing and it's looking really good. And he gets a lot of, um, he gets a lot of guys from other schools that want to come in and drop in like higher belts that come in to, 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 to work with them as well. Cause I mean, he's just a, he's, he's a very knowledgeable dude. And um, so there's always like uh, definitely guaranteed that you're going to have like good people to roll with. If you show up, it's not just white belts, even though it's a new school. Um, he's got a lot of guys to come in to, to pick his brain just because they know how good he is, you know? So, yeah, he, yeah he's but- a great example of just a gentle, nice guy. Yeah. That can yeah. Kill you. Like, you know, cause <laughs> he's the, like, you know, you start yelling, you, some guy sees him at a bar, you know, he's, he minds his own business. He, he's yeah. such a good guy. And he helped me so much when I was a white belt and he was a blue belt. And I remember when that all started and I was like, this is what a blue belt is. Like this guy's got to be able to beat up everybody. And then like, you know, <laughs> he, the food chain is so crazy when you see the differences there, but he was always so good. And he, you know, he's just so soft-spoken and I love what he represents about jujitsu that that's a guy that you would have to literally be doing the craziest thing ever to have him want to fight you. But you don't want to push a guy like that. Like, and that, that's kind of, it's almost like the Clark Kent Superman thing with him. And that's what I really love about jujitsu. Like one of our, one of our black belts, when I started training, he always used to tell me, I think it was right when the first ultimate fighter season was around and Kenny Florian was winning. And he was like, the coolest thing about jujitsu is the way it takes somebody who's a nerd and makes them a killer. And I've always remembered that. Yes. It's, it's so true, man. It's so true. Yeah. There's, there's been just countless people that I've met along the way who they're the most, I mean, look at what we were talking about with Hoist, like Hoist, when you first looked at Hoist and compared him to like, you know, a Ken Shamrock or like these other guys that look like jacked or just look crazy and mean with missing teeth and tattoos and the whole thing. And, and you look at Hoist, I mean, and then look what he did. And it's, it's, it's so true. I think it really did that, that kind of, that kind of set the tone for people. I think that, you know, you can be someone that's a very uh, peaceful kind of introverted person. That's very, um, that's very into like, um, like, and, 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 and like people who have analytical minds do really well in jujitsu and people who are good at things like chess it, it is like a very physical version of chess and so um it, it's absolutely like a nerd's game man and and, 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 the cool, and the cool thing about it too is it's always also great for guys that are not nerds if you were like a jock growing up in school i mean dude you'll have you'll have a blast doing jujitsu it's fun it's physical it's challenging it's you know and, and it really does attract all walks of life which is so cool but but yeah to emphasize what you were saying dude there's been just countless people i've known that like you'd look at them on the street and be like oh dude that that guy looks like he still gets his lunch money taken you know? <laughs> you're like you know and he's like in his 40s but then you roll with them and it's like oh my god dude like man if i ever underestimated this dude on the street i'd be in trouble you know 
And uh, yeah, like my instructor, Paul, Paul's a great example. Like Paul, Paul doesn't look unassuming. I mean, he, he, you can look at him and be like, oh yeah, dude, for sure. Like lifts and works out and stuff. But, um, but man, if you talk to him, he's like the nicest guy like ever. He's like, you know, he's got the demeanor of like a Mormon. He's like, Hey buddy, how's it going? Hey, how are you? <laughs> super, super friendly, super welcoming, just really. And then you roll with him. And it's like, dude, I like literally if Paul Creighton decided that he had three, like 30 seconds to murder me, there's just, there's nothing I could do. Like nothing, nothing that I could do about it and my life would i would just have to you know in that 30 seconds say goodbye to my family basically but um <laughs> it's just you know it's just it's just the way it is man yeah it's 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 one of those things where you you take people who are who are um you don't have to be this menacing figure or 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 like an air quotes tough guy to be good at jujitsu i mean you can you can it's a beautiful thing man it's it's awesome i, I know matt went down there i think within the last year or two to do a seminar i think it was for like the grand opening did you get to train with him at all uh, so, i'm sorry say that one more time nick Matt Sarah, I think, went down there to, to for like the grand opening. I think it was like him and Henzo or something like that, right? I, I, yeah, yeah. So so Sarah was down here uh and I think that was like two thousand, I wanna say two thousand nine. And it was actually oh. before and it was actually before I was at it was before I was at Creighton. I I actually wasn't wasn't a student of Paul's yet. I hadn't I hadn't switched over. And um, but I heard he was coming and so and I knew Paul because Paul was uh, friends with my first instructor, and so I was I was aware of you know, of course, and Paul has a great team here, so I was already aware of them. Uh, but when I heard Matt Sarah was coming and there was a seminar, I'm like, oh, dude, I'm not missing that. So I, <laughs> so I went, dude, had a great time with him. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, Matt was, uh, Matt was the same way, man. Like he, he, he greets you. And this is way before I had the podcast. He, 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 he greets you like he, like he's known you already, you know, it's like, Hey buddy. Hey, good to see you, man. And you feel like, you feel like he's someone you already know. And uh, I think that all trickles down from Henzo, man. Henzo's yes. just Henzo's just like the most the most charismatic dude I think that God ever made. And uh, I think that if jujitsu didn't exist, Henzo would be in some other situation where he's just like a beloved figure by everyone he meets. And you know, he's, and, and it just trickles down. I think that the different teams have different cultures. And um, Henzo's affiliation. Every time I meet anyone from Henzo's, they're just like they're just super nice. Like everyone's just real friendly and welcoming, and and also very very talented, very skilled. Uh, but yeah, th- I think there is a culture that gets kind of set from the top. But um, yeah, man. But yeah, but anyway, training with Matt. Yeah, learning from Matt was 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 awesome, and he showed some really cool stuff. He showed the the Papa choke while he was while he was there. What they call the Papa choke, which is like a uh, it's like a head and arm kind of, and. Um, and then, uh, God, what else did he show? He showed, I think, a couple of takedowns, maybe. But uh, it was a blast, dude. It was a, and watching him and Matt kind of bust each other's balls and laugh the whole time <laughs> it was, it was a lot of fun. You could tell they were you know, old buddies and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, Matt. That's, and that's actually the only time I've ever met Matt in person. The only time I, the only time I actually even really had a conversation with him was, was a few years later when I had him on on the podcast. So, um, but yeah, I'd love to have him on again, man. He's he's just he's a riot every time I talk to him. Yeah, I just had him on mine uh, maybe a month or two ago. Nice. And it's, you know, usually you, you get like, I, I talk to him all the time, but, you know, he's got all these other things going on. And I think it was the first time that I trained with him for like 15 years, but to be able to like have his undivided attention for like an hour and talk to him was worth the podcast in general. I was like, man, this yeah. is exactly why I did this podcast was for opportunities like this. And then I, I think I had a, an episode with Ray Longo right after, and they're just two of the most genuine people in the world and their energy is so good. And like, you know, you, you get off a, a conversation like that and you could just take so many things from that, that even if you don't like jujitsu, when a guy like that, that has so much experience on and off the mat and ups and downs in life, they can give you advice that will help you for years in business and relationships, like personally, professionally. I just, you know, I, I, I'm so thankful for being able to have conversations like this with these people. 
it's, it's really incredible. And I know you get to, you get to do the same thing. So I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it really is something else, man. Like if you had told me, um, like I kind of hinted earlier that I was, I had a colorful youth. So I was a, a juvenile, a juvenile delinquent and a high school dropout. And if you had told me that, you know, 15 years later, I'd be, I'd be talking to these like heroes of mine like for a living. I, I would have told you you were crazy. So it, it, like every day I just kind of like, I have to kind of reflect like, man, I can't believe like my life turned out like this. This is, this is amazing. So yeah, it, it really is. It really, really is. It's all because, like I said, it's all because I found jujitsu and you know, it, it's just, it, I'm very thankful. Well, one, one question I had that I thought was uh, interesting. It's been coming up a little bit more lately, being that you've trained across the country, all over the, all over the world, pretty much. And you've been around jujitsu for a long time. Is there anything that you're seeing is missing from when you started 15 years ago to now, as far as like etiquette, especially more so towards the white belts? Like I, I just had a conversation with, uh, actually, I think it was with Sean Patrick Flannery that we were talking about how we used to have after the white belt classes, not all the time, but they'd stop like, you know, 10 minutes early and be like, Hey guys, line up. All right. You know, you don't want to ask a black belt to roll. You know, you want to, what you want to cut your nails. You don't want to do that. Like, this is a big thing to do. This is not. And like, I stuff, I was like, Oh man, I did that. Like, I didn't even know I shouldn't have done that. And I, I haven't really seen that as much, right? I, I hear a lot less of it over time. What's something you know from just basic jujitsu etiquette that's kind of been a, a past thing that should really be come back or pay more attention to? Yeah, it's a good question, man. Um, so if, I, I think that I think that generally speaking, white belts, people who are new to jujitsu, they're they're always going to go through a bit of an adjustment period, uh, you know, and, and that's and that's natural. I, I don't think that there's, you know, I don't think that it's necessarily anything wrong that they do. It's just that they don't know better yet. They don't know that there are certain things we don't do. Like for in like a big one would, for example, be like um, if you hear a guy talking in the locker room about everyone he tapped tonight, or 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 or, <laughs> or, or who he did good against, you know, and things like that. And we, and, and, and then they, they, you know, they're, they're new to jujitsu. So they don't understand yet that, Hey, you know, first of all, if you're a white belt and you did re something really good against a purple belt, odds are the purple belt was kind of letting you work. Cause he's not just going to smash you because it's, it's, it's expected of him not to smash a new guy. That's like a really dick thing to do. And, 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 you know, he would then get reprimanded by the enforcer, whether it's verbal or, or physical <laughs> in the next role. Um, and so, you know, so sometimes guys, you know, have a tendency to be a little, um, not braggadocious, but they, they, you know, they, they sort of, they, they sort of talk about what happened out loud. Like, oh, I tapped this guy or, oh, this guy was going after me and he couldn't get me and this and that. And they mean, well, they, they're just, they're just excited about their training, but they also don't realize that, Hey, look, you know, first of all, if you were going with a higher guy, he was probably letting you move around a little bit. Uh, secondly, um, it's a training session. So even if, even if you did legitimately do something, it's like, dude, it's just, it's just training, man. That's not, this isn't a tournament. This isn't a competition. It's a Tuesday night. Everyone just got off work. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like you, there's nothing being proven here. This is just where we all work together to make each other better by training. And so, so there's little things like that, that I think that every white belt is naturally going to go through where, you know, there, you, like you said, you don't ask, uh, it's, it's generally speaking, you don't approach a black belt for a role they'll you just kind of wait and see if they pick you and some and some gyms some gyms are different so some gyms have a completely open policy or it's like dude just roll with everybody it doesn't matter uh which is kind of what i like but um but i think that you know yeah there, there's stuff like that that i think every every white belt's going to go through in the beginning little etiquette things that you that you learn over time um as far as things that are implemented as like a as like a, a protocol um i'm trying to think if there's anything that i used to see that i don't anymore um 
man, you know, I, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head as far as like a rule or a protocol that used to be enforced that I don't see anymore. Um, I would say that the art has changed a lot uh, since I first started. Uh, there's obviously the sport of jujitsu has really taken off. When I first started training, uh, it was very, very closely tied with uh, with MMA. So like pretty much everyone that was training MMA was either looking for self or training a jujitsu rather, was either looking to get into MMA or they were looking to learn self-defense. And and that was pretty much the two. So it was very, it was very tightly tied to fighting still. Uh, and then as the sport of jujitsu started really taking off, uh, it became more uh, training of training jujitsu versus jujitsu. And so there was, ended up being a lot of uh, uh, things that were, uh, it, you know, the, the rule set kind of, kind of uh, uh, influenced the way we roll and the things we do and the things that are considered uh, your destinations on the mat and, and, and you know, your, your goals and training. Um, and that's kind of changed the, the art a little bit, but I think it's all been mostly good things. Uh, it's, it's made jujitsu's overall level higher i think um but yeah i guess i guess that would be those would be the, the big things i can think of off the top of my head to answer your question no those are great answers man i, I love that um so as far as your podcast first off congratulations it's, it's an awesome podcast you've had amazing guests and it's, it's huge so that that's awesome on you thank man. Congrats you, on all that. thanks man i appreciate that ever wanted to play the drums or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. So I, I've, I've heard you talk a little bit about why you started the podcast and it's, it's interesting, but what were the first episodes like? Because I remember when I first started this one and I'm, I'm literally like talking to myself and I'm just, even when I'm trying to pay attention to the guest, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, who the hell is even going to listen to this? Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it, and it was weird, you know, obviously it, it got better, but, um, but what was it like starting out for you? Yeah, it, it, it was kind of crazy. So, so, you know, to highlight again, before I, I dropped out of high school. And so I, I didn't have like, um, a whole lot of like, like spectacular career opportunities in my life going on. And, uh, you know, I, I, I basically worked in warehouses and I worked as a bouncer for a while. Um, and just, you know, stuff like that, entry level stuff, or just kind of, you know, um, I wasn't, I, I wasn't in a position to be having like a, a really solid career with any company really necessarily. And so I, I kind of bounced from job to job and, uh, and then I met my wife and, and we got, uh, engaged and then we got married. And, um, and then that's when kind of life hit me like, oh man, I need to, like, I need to do more than this. Like, I'm supposed to be like, like starting a family here and, you know, uh, supporting uh, my wife and everything. And so, 
it ended up uh, really pushing me to, to have to figure out better things for myself. And I started off uh, doing uh, drafting, uh, fiber optic drafting with a friend of mine from the academy, actually, who, uh, who got me in. And it, it sounds fancy, but it's basically you're just drawing lines on a Google map uh, to show Comcast where to dig in the ground to bury fiber, opt fiber optic cable. And, uh, and so during that time, I started listening to podcasts just because it's a really monotonous job and, you know, you, you get bored real easy. And, uh, and I noticed that during that time, there was a few jujitsu podcasts, but there wasn't a whole lot of people doing like long form style interviews. And so it kind of gave me the idea to do that. Uh, it wasn't really something I was thinking of making money with necessarily because I just didn't, I didn't know how that whole world worked as a career path. Um, but then as I started to do more research, I realized like, oh, I mean, there are people out there that, you know, get like, you know, uh, enough of a following that they can sort of have sponsors and they can get people that contribute to the show in certain ways and they can do, you know, affiliate marketing and stuff like that. And so it's just, you know, a little seed that was planted in my head that maybe I could do something cool like that. And, uh, and then uh, after about a year of doing the drafting, they lost uh, the biggest contract they had at the time, which was Comcast. And, uh, and then AT&T fell off too, which was the next biggest one. And so we were all working on production. So when we lost those, those contracts, all of a sudden, like our days were like shorter and uh, there wasn't a lot of work to do and they could only divvy out so much work to each, to each of us. And the rest of us have to just go home for the day without, without any paycheck. And, um, and it got to the point where our, our, the lights in our apartment are getting shut off and, you know, my, I remember, I remember the day specifically where I really, where it really just hit me and decided I had to, knew I had to do something was uh, my, I came home, my wife was all upset. She's emptying out the refrigerator because all the food was going bad because the power was cut off. And, and it just made me feel like such a failure um, as, as, as a guy and, and that I, you know, I should have her in a better situation, have us both in a better situation. And, um, and so I went back in and said, look, guys, I mean, if we're, if we're not going to be getting paid, you got to let me know so I can go figure something else out. And they were trying to kind of keep us all hanging in there uh, until they could get another big contract because they didn't want to start a big contract and then have no drafters. So it was kind of shitty of them to do that. But um but anyway, eventually they, they just, they just, they conceded and said, look, you know, we're, we're going to have to shut down the company. We're just, we're, we're unfortunate we're going under. However, if you've been here with, for a certain amount of time, you get a severance package. And I had been there just barely enough time to get a severance package. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it was enough to pay for about three months of rent. And so I told my wife and I came home that night. I just, it, this was supposed to be like my big, uh, job. This was supposed to be my big career that, that was going to allow me to have a good, a good life uh, and not be working like, you know, like my old jobs I used to do. So I was just devastated and I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have any answers and I'm sitting there filling out uh, applications and resumes online just with zero motivation to, 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 to do this. And and I finally told my wife, I said, you know, honey, like, look, let me, we got this severance package. Let me take these three months and just try to see if I can do something that I want to do. You know, let me, like, I've had this idea for this podcast thing that you, that I've been talking to you about. Let, let me just see what, what can happen with this in three months. Like, I, I know that there's a really good chance, like most podcasters, it's like, it's like, you know, a very small percentage of podcasters get to actually do, make any money at all, let alone make a living off of it. But let me just, let me just try, you know? And so thankfully she was open-minded to it and let me try. And, um, and it got it, got it going within that three months and lined up some guests that I knew I wanted to talk to. And, uh, we came up with a, a cool, um, style of marketing it. My, my wife's a graphic designer. So she draws a character of the faces of each guest on the show. Uh, so it's kind of looks like a comic book issue. Each episode that comes out, we release like this cool little, uh, graphic, you know? 
And, uh, and then uh, it started kind of gaining steam within that three months. And it wasn't a lot, but it was, you know, it was out there. And I had to eventually go back and work a side job uh, for the first year. I was working as an electrical assistant through another friend of mine, um, getting electrocuted on ladders every now and again. I get zapped <laughs> by these security lights we were installing. And I would uh, basically, yeah, I do, do that all, all morning. And then, I'd, and then I'd pack up my ladder and get back in my truck and fly home uh, in time to interview some big guest, you know, and I'm half out of breath and hungry and kind of dehydrated but trying to get through the interview and did that for about a year and then we started slowly uh, uh really getting up there in in, in the numbers and we we, uh, we we ended up um getting being the number one ranked uh podcast not just uh, in the among the 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 martial arts stuff but uh, in all of amateur sports on itunes on itunes which was a massive category of like you know i don't know how many thousands of podcasts and we were we were ranked above like espn backed podcasts and things from university sports programs and i'm just sitting there looking at the rankings like oh my god dude i can't believe this and so um and so then that kind of gave me uh of this this kind of feeling like i i think this can be something i think that if i can show people uh, you know, if I, if I can find some sponsors and say, look, I have like a lot of people listening, you know, you might want to check us out, you know, and, and slowly but surely sponsors, I started making calls and getting sponsors and um, it wasn't a lot at first, but over time they got better and better. And, and then uh, after about, you know, the first year of the podcast existing, uh, I was able to, to go full time with it. I was able to, to just, just exclusively do this. And um it, like I said, it, it, it was a lifesaver because I, I did not have any other answers of what I was going to do with myself if, if, if this hadn't worked. And then, and that was the other thing too, is like, I, I knew that, like, I knew that there was so much um, possibility, the possibility of this succeeding was far, uh, far less likely than it failing, just like with any business. But um, I was at a point, man, where it, when, you know, I'm sitting there with my, my power cut off and the refrigerator's empty and my wife's all upset and I'm embarrassed and I'm humiliated and I'm now getting laid off and I do have a severance package. But, you know, I, I hit this point, man, where I, it didn't matter to me if I was going to be homeless and like if my wife left me, I understood and all that. But it, that all to me, I, it, I, I, it, the, my, 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 my will to succeed at this was greater than my fear to be homeless, if that makes sense. And, um, and so I just burned all the ships behind me, man. I just decided, look, I'm going to do this. And if it doesn't work and I'm on the street, I don't give a shit. I'm not going back to work in a warehouse again. I'm just, I'm tired of that. And, um, you know, and, and that, and I think that's kind of what fueled me was, was, was a little bit of that and a little bit of, you know, personal redemption, just cause I'd been kind of such a knucklehead my whole life that I wanted to be able to show like, Hey, you know, I am, I, I do have some value and I can do something in this world. And, and thankfully it all worked out, man. I'm, I'm extremely thankful for, for how it all went, but that's kind of, that's kind of how the beginning of the podcast was, man. That's, 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 that's basically the story. That's an incredible story, man. And I think again, the, the parallels to just being in a tough spot and having the option to tap out or figure out a way to get on top is exactly what you do off the mats and what you do on the mats. That's what yeah. I love about the people that get to the level that you're at. You know that that's how they handle adversity in their life, which to me, again, is, is really what matters. Because when, when you're winning and you're crushing everybody and you're winning at life, it's easy to be good and optimistic. But how are you handling stuff when your back's against the wall and your power shut off? And obviously, you know, you're, you're on top now because you earned it and you're there for a reason. And I, I admire 
respect that, man. I think that's awesome. Oh, that means a lot, brother. Thank you. Yeah. It's kind of funny too. Like I, 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 you know, I didn't know at the time what to really expect because, you know, po- podcasting is such a, it's such a new medium in the grand scheme of, of, of things. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know there, there wasn't a ton of research for me to even do of like, you know, how much do podcasters make or how does this work or what, what, what are the avenues of income and how do I, you know, what, what work is involved on a weekly basis. And, I, I just didn't know any of that. I had to just kind of figure it out as I went, just like everybody does. Cause there's not like any like universities for podcasting really. I mean, there's <laughs> some, there, there are some like online courses now and stuff, but back then I, I there weren't any really. And, um, you know, I ended up working, I, I will say, I, I think that a lot of people, a lot of my friends anyway, they, they have this vision of me of like, oh, dude, Ryan probably just like lays around and smokes pot and eats Cheetos <laughs> and talks jujitsu all day. It's like, dude, actually I work like, uh, you know, at the, at the time when I, for the first five, for the first four years that I did it, uh, I would work about 80 hours a week. It was, it was nonstop. And it was really just a, a, a marathon because I was doing two episodes a week for the first four years. Um, and that was a, a an overwhelming amount of, uh, of writing and booking and editing and promoting and uh, mixing things down. It, it was just a ton of work, way more than I expected. Uh, but I grinded through it, and now now I've kind of dialed it back a little bit to uh, to one episode a week. Uh, for the for the last year, we've been doing about a, a, a once a week episode, um, a once a week show rather, and uh, and that's made a little bit more room for me to breathe. But I still, I mean, I still put in, I mean, well over well over full time hours. I at least 50, 60 hours a week I put I put into this. So so I mean, it is a job. It's it's, it's I, I don't mean to paint this picture that somehow I live this like like hey I don't really do anything but talk about jujitsu. It's it's that that the, the talk talking about jujitsu part, unfortunately is about 5% of it. And then there's just this other 95% that's just not fun stuff. It's editing. It's, 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 it, we're, you know, going back and forth with the guests and uh, writing episodes and, and, and planning for things for marketing and promotion and working with sponsors. And that's the other thing with sponsors is when you, when you work with a sponsor, it's not just that they send you a check every month. It's you have a lot of obligations to do for them. You have a lot of promotion. You have to keep up with what they're doing and uh, make sure you're really helping them get the word out about what, about, and, you know, to your listeners about what they do. So, um, so yeah, it, it is a lot of work, but man, it's, 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 uh, it beats the hell out of, out of throwing drunks out of bars or, um, <laughs> or whatever else I was doing before, you know? So, you know, I, I love that you actually said that because uh, I think everybody thinks about starting a podcast, but I don't think anybody has any idea that doesn't do it on that level, how much prep work and, and post work and all oh, this yeah. stuff that goes into it. And not only that, but you were the only person that I heard actually say this, I believe it was on the, the Isaka Jiu Jitsu podcast, but about when you have a podcast booked and you're having a shitty day. And the last oh, thing you want to do yeah. is go and fake the funk and be, you know, ice cream and puppy dogs and have a positive <laughs> conversation with somebody when you're just not feeling it, but you have to. And, yeah. um, you know, that that's not always easy, but I do also feel like for me, you know, when I started locking myself into times and then not being able to cancel, almost every podcast, I'm like, I don't want to do it. I want to go do, I got too much stuff going on today. Like, how am I going to, and then like, you know, you start going through the questions and then every time I do it though, as, as much as I'm reluctant to do it or nervous about it, or I have anxiety to do it, I almost always come off of it. Like, man, I'm so happy I did that. That was a great conversation. And it really helps my day get a lot better, which I always is the thing that I always said about jujitsu. When I'm like, I'm too tired. It's been a long day. I really shouldn't go. I don't feel like driving there. It's cold out. But then you drag your ass there and then you roll for an hour and you're like, Man, what was I thinking? Like, I, so, you know, it, it yeah. heals me as much as like I resisted a lot too. But prep wise, I mean, what are you doing these days? Are, are you still the one who's coming up with like, you know, do, doing the research on the person, finding out what titles they won, 
where their school is, finding some cool stories and points to bring up? Like, are you using questions? Are you just shooting from the hip? Like, how do you prep for your guests? Yeah. So no, that, that that's a great question, man. So yeah. And, and it's, it, it's true. Like, yeah, you do, you do, um, you do have days where, and that, that, when people ask me what the hardest thing about podcasting is, you hit it right on the head. It's, it's exactly that. No matter what kind of day I'm having, uh, I have to be like, I call it Johnny microphone. You got to be like <laughs> high energy, la- you know, a good mood, being able to carry a conversation uh, and everything else. And that can be tough. I mean, there's, there's been times where like, there's like, for example, when my, when my grandfather passed a few days, a few years ago, um, it, he, I found out 15 minutes before one of my big interviews. And I mean, there was no canceling, man. I had a, this guest was really hard to get a hold of. And, uh, and, and, and I knew that, you know, you, you had to be professional and, but dude, I mean, it, it's rough, man. There, there's, there's stuff like that that happens. Um, as far as how I, how I, how I, uh, yeah, yeah. As far as the work that goes into the podcast. Yeah. It's, it's all me except for the artwork the, you know, thank God I, I, I got really lucky and, and married a very talented graphic designer. Uh, that's not why I married her, but it just happened to be, <laughs> it just happened to be like, yeah, it just happened to be a, a nice benefit. Um, but she, uh, yeah. So she does all the artwork of the show, which is, which is kind of our distinct, um, uh, branding and people kind of know the show uh, if you follow us online because of that. Um, but everything else is me. Yeah. I do everything. Um, and, and people, have told me for years like man you should get like an engineer to like sit there and just edit your episodes for you so you, can, you don't have to take you know if, if you have like a two-hour episode you can count that like y- you can almost be guaranteed it's going to take three and a half to four hours to edit it uh just because it's it's i always find that's double the amount of time of the episode typically because you got to sit there and listen to the whole thing and stop constantly and cut out background noises and you know if, if, if you're going to do a podcast where it's really refined and sounds really clear and good um then it, it you know there's a lot of work that goes into it so people have told me for years like man you should get a you should get a guy to edit for you. And I'm just like, dude, I'm the thing is I'm so OCD in particular about <laughs> how the show sounds. And, you know, yeah, I, I would have a really hard time giving up control of that. You know, I, I would feel very like anxious about it. Um, so it's just, it's a, yeah, I, I, unfortunately because of my OCD, I'm just sort of condemned to, <laughs> to having all the work done by my, done by myself. Um, but, uh, but then, yeah, as far as preparing for that, I, I used to have like uh, questions I'd write, um, now I, uh, I kind of just, you know, I just sort of know the things I want to talk about and the things I want to ask. So it's a lot of firing from the hip nowadays. Uh, but early on, I would write like real specific detailed things I wanted to, to ask. And, um, but you know, I think over time, your, your, your style will change how you, inter- as far as yourself as an interviewer, it will change uh, as you get more accustomed to, to the flow of things. And you'll, you'll kind of know, you know, the specific things that you always talk to every guest about, and then you'll know individual things that's unique about each person that you can sort of dive into. Uh, and then as far as researching the guests, you know, thankfully, you know, because I've been training so long and so obsessed with jujitsu for as long as I have, um, I kind of already know a lot about, about most of the big, the big names. So, so there's not typically a whole lot of research time I have to spend on guests just because I kind of know things about them. I have sort of this weird, I have this weird brain, man, where like I have, I hold what a lot of people would be would consider just useless information. <laughs> like, like I, I, I'd be able to like cite, like the, I'm really good at like citing dates and, 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 uh, and what happened in fights like, you know, 15 years ago. It's like, dude, how the hell do you remember that? Like, how do you remember that that guy won with a Kimura at like the three minute mark of the second round at the Mandalay Bay? You know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's, but for some reason, I'm just, I was just, just such an obsessive fan of, of MMA and jujitsu that I've, I've just sort of been able to, to retain that. I think it's just because I care about it. Um, 
But, uh, but every now and then, yeah, I'll have to do research too. If it's a new guy that hasn't been around real long that I have to kind of do a little reading on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 that, that's, it's all me, man. It's all me. And, and, and except for the artwork and, um, and that, that, you know, over time you just sort of get into the groove of it. I think you'd kind of find your own style, you know? It's impressive, man. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. You know, you got to do, you guys are almost at what, 500 episodes almost? Yeah, yeah. We're like four, just crossed 450. Yeah. So we'll, nice, we'll, we'll be at 500 by this time next year. So, so yeah, hard it's, work. it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's been pretty, it's been pretty mind blowing. Like every time we hit a hundred episodes, I try to do like a, for every hundred episodes, I try to do like a real big guest if I can. Um, I try to go above and beyond like, like who I can, who I can get on. And uh, every time we do it, man, every time we cross another hundred episodes, I have to sit back and be like, Dude, wow like i did that's another 100 200 300 400 conversations i've had with people it's unbelievable it's like you know how many hours is that jesus and yeah. um and it's kind of funny because there's a statistic out there about podcasting um that most podcasts don't make it past seven episodes uh and then you have to assume it's it's because there's a lot of people that just do it for fun and it's kind of a hobby and and so statistically most ep- most podcasts don't make it past seven episodes so when you look back and say like damn dude i did you know, 450 at this point, it's pretty, it's kind of, it's kind of surreal, you know, but uh, yeah, man, yeah, just like most people will never make it to Brown belt and black belt, you know what I mean? Coming for five or six classes and going, ah, it's too much for me. So yeah, I love the, that my, one of my favorite quotes is how you do anything is how you do everything. And that's exactly what you're showing there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate that, man. And you know, the the thing, the the thing too, to, 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 to bring it back to jujitsu a little is that, you know, jujitsu is, is, is the reason I always say it's the reason for all my success and for, for who I am as a person and the the podcast and sort of my, my business life, my, my, my entrepreneurship and uh, how I am as an entrepreneur uh, is all, is all motivated, inspired by that as well, because, you know, I was, I was someone previously that I, I would give up easy. I was someone that gave up easy. If anything was challenged, or difficult or took some discipline or time to sit down and study and research. And basically if work was involved, I'd kind of be like, ah, like I just, I was, I was kind of mentally, I was kind of a, um, uh, intellectually lazy. Uh, and, 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 and if anything took time, I was kind of like, ah, I don't feel like it, but jujitsu is kind of what made one of the things that was able to really lock me in and kind of get me uh, to a point where I understood the importance of putting in uh, dis- uh, time and, and being disciplined and getting through hurdles and also understanding, I think this is the big one is understanding that, that uh, you know, the success path from A is never A to B it's A to Z and you hit every other letter in the alphabet along the way. And those are all failures and wrong turns and detours and, and, uh, and things like that. So I have, I think that, you know, my ability to, to, to run the businesses that I own, uh, including the podcasts have a lot to do with that mindset is that, look, man, you're going to go through a ton of failures and you're supposed to go through a ton of failures. You're never supposed to go from A to B, uh, or from, from A, from A to Z in one step. It's, it's, it's A and then all the letters in the alphabet along the way. Um, and that's normal. It's what you're supposed to do, you know? So. That's awesome, man. I love that answer. I think that that's great. Thanks buddy. With the, um, with the changing mediums here, so obviously I, I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs in this podcast, and I, I love that you brought up, you know, just the, the anxiety of, you know, things are great, but there's so much uncertainty in being a business owner of like, what can happen? What new technology? Like, if my thing be extinct tomorrow, like COVID shut down my gym, like you just never know what's going to happen. And um, I was recently talking with Steve Olsher, who actually is the owner and founder of Podcast Magazine, and he's mm-hmm. also a brown belt in uh, California. Oh, cool. And we, he's been doing a lot of stuff on Clubhouse, you know, and that's the thing is like every, I keep getting all these emails from all these people now of like, you know, Hey, are you aware that Clubhouse is going to make podcasts extinct now? This is the thing you have to get on Clubhouse. And I'm like, 
you know what, if it happens, like, I don't even have the time to go now focus on being on that all day. But it is a real thing of like always having to pivot with the times and pivot with the business. How do you handle being stable and not freaking out and letting the highs get you too high and the lows get you too low of being an entrepreneur? Yeah, no, great question, man. Um, so I, I think I think what it is is that I, I I've tried to get myself to a point where I understand that any any everything has an expiration date, you know. And uh, you know, if you were in the if you were in the uh, CD manufacturing business, then and then all of a sudden MP3s showed up, then that obviously changed your whole world. And that can be done over and over again with 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 really any medium. So I, I've always been sort of aware of. Uh, what's on the horizon and um, what things can um, can be a threat to make me have to change. But at the end of the day, I think that the key word there is change. It's not like you have to completely walk away from from what you're doing. You can just adapt to what you're doing. So a good example of that, if you want to talk about like, like business stuff, um, Toys R Us recently uh, is, is a really good example. Toys R Us went out of business because uh, as Amazon grew, and, and became uh, the premier toy uh, uh, distributor, they, they should have seen that early and said, hey, look, we really need to amp up our online stores. We need to, we need to be like, we need to have an online store and we even maybe need to, to, to have a presence on Amazon's platform itself as Toys R Us to be able to, to meet the demands of people who really want to order their toys online now. People don't go into our stores as much. They'd rather order it off Amazon. So that would have been a good example of a pivot they could have made that unfortunately they didn't. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's the same, it's the same for any business. So for example, if you're a guy that was, if you had a, a, a record shop and it was in, you had a, you know, let's say in the, in the nineties, you were selling uh, CDs at a CD store and all of a sudden MP3 starts coming along man, maybe it's time to figure out a way to make a streaming version of your, uh, get, get on the MP3 wave, make some sort of streaming service, make some sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, adaptable business that, that would work compatibly with MP3s and, 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 and digital, digital music. Um, and so I try to keep myself in a mindset of, Hey, look, I'm always, I'm always, you know, I'm always plugging away at what I'm doing here, but I also have to understand that things can change, especially this day and age at a very rapid pace. And so it's important to be aware of what's going on and be able to, to hop over accordingly, or at least prepare yourself so that if a, a massive uh, industry changing thing does happen, you're ready to go on to the next phase and take what you're already doing and just take it into a different platform. So let's say podcasting dies and, and, and uh, you know, let's say some sort of, um, I don't know, some sort of video based thing uh, becomes like the main, let's say, let's say like YouTube, let's say, let's say for some reason, uh, YouTube kills podcasting and no one listens to podcasts anymore at all starting next week and everyone for some reason is only watching stuff on youtube well then cool grappling central becomes a youtube channel it becomes a which it already is i've got a youtube channel but it'll it'll be it'll be a, a specifically a youtube show and i'll have to invest in cameras and equipment and everything else and i'll have to adapt to what the new structure is uh but you have to just be ready to adapt if you hang on to this thing and think hey this is always going to be like this man, more than likely it's not. There's, there's very few industries that remain exactly how they are a hundred years later, you know? So just being adaptable, I think is really important. Wise words, man. I, I a thousand percent agree. And, and you, you, you set me right up for the, the next question because you can't talk about your YouTube channel and not talk about the Saint of Crackland, the documentary that you made that is on your YouTube channel right now. Um, I watched it. I thought it was freaking awesome, dude. I, I told you that when Thank we first started. Thank and you, I also... You're welcome, definitely. And I, and I talked to, I sent it out to a few of the, the guys and girls that I trained with, the Sarah's and a few of our Brazilian people from Law MMA. Shout out to Paula. She, she said, uh, she wrote me back. She's like, yo, this is so dope. And I was like, because she, obviously she's from Brazil. But 
I was even, I called my partner and she was like, oh, who do you have on today? And I was telling her about you. And then I was like, man, I watched this documentary and I almost got a little bit choked up talking about some of the things of like how it's, it's literally changing the trajectory of the people that are there because now after like seven, eight years, they went from like, they could have been going down this one path. And now, you know, the one guy, Hey, I'm going to college and, you know, I'm helping my family. And it's, it, it's really amazing the difference that they've made and the results that that's starting to show for a place that it almost looked like people left for dead. So talk a little bit about the, what, what it is and how it came about and anybody who obviously put it in the show notes, but I, I was really moved by it, man. I thought it was outstanding. Oh, well, man, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much for the, for the kind words there. And yeah, that I think that was by, by far um, the coolest, the coolest part uh, chapter of my, of my jujitsu journey, like all the things I've done in jujitsu. I think that was the coolest experience I'd ever had. Um, so for the listeners out there, so, so, so uh, you have Sao Paulo, which is the largest city in all the Americas. It's, it's massive. Uh, there's like 12 million people just in the city limits. And then that's not even including the suburbs and the, you know, the outer skirt, the outskirts of town. Um, but in the center of the city, uh, in Sao Paulo, you have this area that's called, uh, it's called Crocolandia and it's Portuguese for crackland. And what it is, is it's this, like, uh, it used to be bigger. It used to be like several blocks. Now it's, now it's thankfully shrunken down a little bit over time, but it's, if you imagine Skid Row, uh, like in LA, it's basically an area that's completely kind of taken over by, um, by addicts and, uh, and drug dealers and things like that. Uh, it's Skid Row. If Skid Row was like on steroids or something, you got like, uh, you know, drug gangs walking around, you got, um, very, very dangerous. Like the police can only go in and major in, in a major force, you know, they have to show up in full force and, uh, you know, cops can't go in there in small, even in small units, they need like the whole team to go in to handle stuff that happens. Uh, and it's just this, it's just this kind of, um, it's kind of almost just like this, uh, this, this, uh, uh, I don't even know how to call it. It's, it's, it's like a war, it's like a war zone. It's, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a war zone in the center of the city. And, so uh, when I was down there training, I ended up uh, in Sao Paulo at the beginning of 2019. Um, a listener on my show messaged me and he said, hey, man, I just saw you're in Sao Paulo. That's awesome. You know, I have this social program that I would really love for you to come check out. And, uh, and I was like, oh, dude, man, I would love to. And, you know, I was all stoked to see that because I'd heard about the social programs that exist in Brazil where usually they're in favelas. Uh, so so you, you would go into like the slums and there's like a, a black belt there that teaches kids for free. And it's like a, it's like a charitable thing. And, uh, and it really helps the kids in the area. In fact, a lot of the, a lot of the sports, a lot of the legends of our sport uh, came from, from social projects where they were real poor kids and they were able to get into jujitsu and they were just hungry and, and, and to learn and, and compete. And they ended up, you know, doing big things. Um, so I knew that it was a very, a very cool thing that they do down there. And uh, so I asked, so I asked, I said, where, where is, where is it? He says, oh, it's in Crocolandia. And I didn't know what Crocolandia was at the time. Uh, so I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, man, let me, you know, let me talk to my wife and, you know, she'll, you know, she's from here. So she'll know, she'll know like where it is and stuff. I can, you know, figure out how to get there. And so I told her, I said, Hey babe, I'm going to go to, uh, to the social project. And she goes, Oh, okay. Well, where is it? I said, it's in Crocolandia. She goes, Oh, hell no. She says, no, 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 you're not, you're not going down there. And so I thought, okay, it must be like a, a bad favela or something. Well, it, it turns out it's, it's not a favela at all. It's, 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 like I said, it's this area that's just been taken over by drug gangs and dealers. 
And uh, it's Sao Paulo's, you know, highest crime area. It's a really, really dangerous area. And so I started talking to guys at the Academy at Damien saying like, Hey man, you know, I'm thinking about going down to this thing. And they're all like, bro, do not, do not go down to that area. Like do not go down there. And so it was about, yeah. So then I, I messaged my buddy my Lyle, my the listener of my show who invited me, I, I messaged him back and said, look, man, I, unfortunately, like everyone's telling me not to go down there. Let me, let me just think about it. You know? And he's like, no, no, I understand. And all that. So, you know, like, you know, almost a year goes by and, and the whole time he, every, every other month, he'd kind of check in and say, what's up and ask if, you know, if I've reconsidered and I'm kind of like, ah, let me, let me think about it, you know? Well, then finally we, we end up training together at, uh, at Barbosa's um, and cause he invites me to train at Barbosa's. So I go train with him and he's telling me all about the impact it's had on the kids and he's showing me pictures. And then I'm just like, dude, I, I have to go check this out. Like I have to, this is just, this is like, this is just so cool. Like we all know what jujitsu does for us. But then when you think of like, you know, kids in, in, in third world poverty, which is just, you know, something that we don't have here. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, it, and you see that what it's doing for those kids and it's pulling them out of that. It's, it's just something I had to see. So I eventually decided to go and I took a camera with me. Um, and I just really on the spot decided like, you know what, I'm just going to film everything. I'm going to see if I can maybe put together like a little, uh, like a short little, maybe I was thinking like a, like a five or 10 minute little YouTube video highlighting my trip to this thing and, and showing what Lyle's doing and trying to get the word about a word out about his program. But as we get going, man, it just, I just, we kept filming and we just kept, you know, kept uh, telling the story and, and it ended up becoming this mini documentary. So it ended up being a little over 30 minutes. And, um, and we went down there and it was, uh, it was a sobering experience because I'd never seen, like I'd been to favelas and stuff in Brazil, but man, this was different. And uh, I'd, I'd never seen such extreme poverty and struggle before in my life and, uh, and, and just complete, um, it was almost just a complete absence of civilization. It was just really, really uh, crazy. And this was at three in the afternoon. This was in the afternoon. So at night, apparently it's amplified by like, by 10, you know? So it's, so it's really actually pretty calm compared to how it is at night, uh, which is crazy to think about. Um, but, uh, but then we got down there and I met the kids and like, they'd never met an American before. So they were all like stoked to like, you know, just to say hi and stuff. And, uh, and, and it was just an amazing time. You know, I ended up training with the kids and training with Lyle and, and, and um, it, it was, it was just the most, the most incredible experience I'd ever had. And, uh, and then the kids start talking about their backgrounds and Lyle's kind of telling me, you know, off to the side. So yeah, that kid over there, like his mom's, you know, an addict and, you know, this kid over here, he lost his dad last year and all this kid over here, you know, lives, lives on the street. Like he doesn't actually have a house and this and that. And it's just like, God damn. So you're like watching these kids and it's just, it's, it was just such a, such a, such a, um, uh, a crazy life experience. It really puts things in perspective when you're, when you see things like that. And, um, obviously I'm, I'm super passionate about jujitsu to, so, so to see jujitsu firsthand changing these kids lives. Cause one of the other things that he was pointing out was by the way, that kid over there who I just mentioned is, is, um, you know, his mom passed or whatever, his dad's an addict or whatever. He's actually about to start college. He'll be the first one in his family tree to ever go to college. Uh, this kid over here is in the Brazilian air force. He just got accepted in the Brazilian air force and he's going to be off doing this thing. This girl over here is going to become a, a physical education teacher. She just, she just graduated. And so it's just like, Oh my God, like, like, like I talk about just like coming back from all odds uh, through and, and it's all through through jujitsu. It's all through this thing that Lyle Rodriguez is doing down there. The program's called uh, Projeto Novo Sonhos, which is uh, Portuguese for the New Dreams Project. 
And, uh, and it's what it is, man. He's giving these kids this, this, this new hope that, that otherwise did not exist. I mean, it, it was, it was the most, um, if you watch the documentary, you can kind of see, we, we filmed, I filmed the best that I could, uh, but you have to be really careful with cameras down there for a couple of reasons. The first one is you know, obviously you can get robbed like really easily. Um, so, so, you know, if, if someone sees you walk around with a nice camera, it's, it's very, you know, not very smart to walk around with that openly. But then the big, even more dangerous than that is if the dealers and the drug gangs see cameras around, they assume you're surveillance of some kind and they'll, 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 high likelihood they'll straight up shoot you. So, um, so I had to be real careful with how we were filming and what exactly I could get shots of, but I was able to get uh, some pretty, some pretty gritty stuff on camera uh, to, to help emphasize the idea of what the, what the area is like. Um, and, uh, and, you know, yeah, it's, it was just, it was, you know, it was one, like I said, one of the most incredible experiences of my life, man. And, and to see jujitsu impacting lives in that way, it was just really something else. And I'm, I'm, I'm just happy I was able to get Lyle's story out there. Cause the whole thing is, it's not about me at all. It's I, I, I'm, I'm sort of the narrator and, and, and I put it together and everything, but the whole focus is on Lyle and, uh, and, and the work he's doing down there, uh, for these kids, which was awesome. So. Man, I, I thought it was excellent. I, I got goosebumps listening to you say all that. It's just, you know, when, when people watch it, they'll understand the impact it's having and watching the way that that unfolds. But I mean, all the stuff you're saying, it, it's amazing to watch when they're driving through the car and you could tell you're sneaking the video in there. You're really not supposed to be doing it. I had, yeah, I had to watch. It's, sorry, man. Yeah, I had I had the camera hidden under a gi. It was just so you can kind of <laughs> in, in the beginning you can kind of see my lapel over the lens a little bit, and then I had to move it. But yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Go ahead. No, no, you're good, man. You're good. But yeah, you, you could definitely tell that you're kind of like j- just sneaking the camera in there. And I'm looking at it, and you're watching the stuff that's happening in the middle of the day. And then when you make that that announcement of like, hey, this is 3 p.m., and I'm t- told this is exponentially worse at night, you're like, oh my god, and like. You know, everybody looks at these places and they, they look at what's happening there. And just to peel that onion back on when you were like, you forget that just because that person is a crackhead or that person is a drug dealer, like, well, what are their kids doing? They, they have kids. They're there. They live there. Yeah. Like, how do we? And that, that's what kind of really changes the perspective. And even to, to hear him, uh, I don't, I'll, I'll probably have to edit this and go back. But I, I, is it, is it uh, Silvio? With oh, the, oh, with the, the cop at Damien's? Is yeah, because I, I yes. met him down here a few times. Actually. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Silvio goes up to Marks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Silvio Morais. He's one. He's one of uh, one of Damien's uh, old school black belts. Really, really good guy. And uh, Silvio, yeah, Silvio. There's a segment of the documentary where I'm speaking with Silvio and getting his advice because Silvio is an elite, uh, an elite member of uh, Brazil's narcotics task force. So he he knows all about you know, Krakalanja and the, the drug gangs that are there. And that's kind of what he does for a living. Like he has, um, I don't know if you've hung out with Silvio after class and heard stories of his, but dude, that guy, he, that guy needs to write a book. Like for real, <laughs> he needs to make a book or a movie or something. Cause every day he would have just these ridiculously crazy stories um, about, about stuff that he does every day. Like the you know, chasing drug dealers around and you know, cracking down on you know, catching kingpins and stuff like that around Sao Paulo. And it's, it, it, it's just awesome. His, his, his life is just this crazy story. Um, and so I, yeah, I ended up being able to sit with him kind of picking his brain about you know his advice on how i should handle being down there and and that's all that's all part of the documentary as well you see me you see him 
talking about the area. And I was also actually glad too, because, you know, Silvio was able to give really great insight on, on just the history of Crocolandia and, and how it sort of came to be and what it's been like over time. And so he can court, he could sort of, as someone that works in, in uh, specifically works in the narcotics task force, he was able to give some really good insight on just what to expect in general. And, and also to just paint the picture of what the area is, you know, so I was happy to talk to him. Yeah. Awesome. And yeah, he's a good guy. He, he came down here and uh, Mark actually let me roll with Damien for a little bit. And I think he, Damien tapped me out like seven times in a two minute yeah, round. That's a, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty, you did, you did better than me then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, well, dude, this has been awesome. I, I like to finish off with, I guess it's my version of the pummel. It's the, the victory lap. Cool. Um, cool. And then uh, I'll let you go, man. You've been great. But one of my first questions is what guests were you most nervous to interview? Oh, good one. Uh, let me think back, man. Uh, you know, I was really, I was real nervous to interview Hodger. I interviewed Hodger three times, Hodger Gracie, uh, three times. And, um, you know, uh, the first time I interviewed him, I also had a complete, uh, uh, the debacle happen as I, as I'm getting set up, we're about to hit record. And I drag, I pulled my mixer a little closer to me because it was kind of at the end of the table. And I didn't realize the wire was pinched between the desk and the wall behind, uh, behind the table, you know? And, and as I pull the mixer, I hear something go pink, like it breaks. And so the line in wire on my mixer broke. And it's like, right as I'm hitting record. So I was already nervous, but then I'm like panicking because he can't hear me and I can hear him, but he can't hear me. And, uh, and then I had to basically cancel and re and reschedule, but thankfully Hodger was really cool, but I was, I was nervous about that one. Um, and then I've actually had Marcelo. I've had Marcelo Gracie on twice, uh, which I'm, which I'm really proud of because it's, it's extremely difficult to get a hold of him. Uh, and I was able to get him and I was nervous to, for the first one, but you know, for the second one, not so much. I, I've got after, after like 450 episodes now, I'm really, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kind of so used to it now that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't really feel a whole lot of nerves talking to anybody anymore, but early on uh, talking to Hoist was another big one. I, I was nervous to talk to Hoist because uh, you know, he was obviously the first person I ever, he, he was, he was sort of the catalyst of, 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 of jujitsu for me anyways. I, he was the one that I saw do it for the first time and saw what jujitsu was because of him. So that was a big deal. Um, and then I uh, got anyone else I've been really nervous for, I guess, I guess that's about it, man. Oh, oh no, Hickson. When I had Hickson on, Hickson. Oh, that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> I was pretty nervous about Hickson. Yeah, I was nervous about that because I didn't know, I didn't know how. I, I'd met Hickson before at a seminar, and he's a really nice guy, but he's a very, um, uh, very kind of serious. He's, he's not. He's not like a, I don't know. I didn't know how chatty he was. He was very. He was very friendly and polite, and answered questions and stuff in person uh, when you when you talk to him. But I didn't know whether or not I'd be able to get him chatting for an hour or not, you know, because that can be kind of a challenge sometimes uh, if, if people aren't super talkative. Uh, but he was, it was great. We, 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 I very quickly got very comfortable. Um, but yeah, I'd say those are the big ones, man. I'd say Hodger, Hodger, Hoist, uh, Hickson, and, uh, and Marcelo were the ones that, that I, was, I was nervous at first. Yeah, the, the ones I can really remember off the top of my head. That's awesome, man. Those are, those are huge names. It's, it's funny, the, uh, I, I used to, I lived in Manhattan for a while and the guy I was getting my haircut from, he'd be like, hey man, you do jujitsu, right? And I'd be like, yeah. Like, man, as a guy who comes in here, he cut his hair all the time. He says he does jujitsu too. And I'm like, yeah, everybody says they do jujitsu. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what, yeah. and he took one intro class somewhere. He's like, I'm going to get his name next time. He's like, and I'm going to link you guys up. And I'm like, okay. 
And I show up, he's like, oh, he just left. He's like, I told him about you. He said he wants you to come in and train. He's got a school over here and he gives me the car. It's freaking Marcelo Garcia. <laughs> and I was like, dude, that's not a jujitsu guy. That's, that's like the jujitsu. So like, I, I pull out my phone and I'm like, this is the guy. And he's like, but he's so nice. I'm like, he will kill you. There but uh, I went there and I, I did a 10 minute feet to floor match with Marcelo and it was amazing. And it was, I mean, it was like, you know, the whole time I was, it, everybody says rolling with him is like rolling with a gi without a body. And that, that's literally what it felt like. I was yeah. like, it was it was amazing though. But oh, what a guy, man! Unbelievable. Yeah, that's a, if you're a basketball fan, you might have felt, you might as well just had Michael Jordan come in for a, for a trip. <laughs> Although Michael Jordan shaves his head, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, but but no, yeah. Marcelo Marcelo was here in Atlanta when I trained at Alliance. Um, he was he was he came in for a seminar and demonstrated a north south choke on me. And uh, <laughs> I felt like my head was going to pop. Like I'd, I'd never felt that kind of pressure in a, in a, in a North South choke before. And I, I, I literally felt like my head was going to bust like a grape. Uh, so yeah, he's just, man, he is just, he is something else. And then, and then the nicest guy, like you said, I, I did, a, I did a, on my YouTube channel, I did a, 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 an Academy tour of his school and ended up talking with him and he demonstrated a move and, and all that. Just the nicest, nicest guy, man. So, but yeah, yeah. I would, but totally, but just because of who he is, I was, I was, yeah, I was absolutely nervous the first time I had him on to, to talk to him you know i wanted to do well so yeah i did 10 minutes before i rolled with him i did 10 minutes with paul schreiner oh paul's great Dude, man he beat my ass like he, <laughs> he threw a beating on me i was in there as a guest for the day and i was like oh and then like oh. I, was like, I can't move him more so i was like where's nick and i was like oh god oh god yeah, <laughs> Dude, i'm telling you man that's cool man they've got some killers yeah between paul and obviously marcella they got like uh uh, uh marcus Tin uh, tinoco and uh Mateus Denise. I mean, there's just yeah, there's some just some murderers in there, man. Good yeah. school. Yeah. So my next question for you, which has been why I've been really wanting to know. Um, I have trained in uh probably, I don't know, nine, ten times. I go out there and I'm I miss training, I miss traveling mostly because I don't get to go hit these jujitsu schools a few times a year like I used to. But one of my favorite places, regardless of what they had me doing there, I always tried to go get scheduled in Northern California. And even if I had to wake up at four and drive for an hour to go meet Kurt Osiander at 5 a.m., I would do it almost every day I could possibly do it. And every time I came out with amazing stories, like the guys, like he's another one. When we talk about like Matt Sarah and Henzo Gracie and the guy just is who he is and he's not going to change for anybody. And he's a unique individual, like freaking Code Osiander is a character and what a great guy, man. And I know he's, I think one of your most frequented guests. I always listen when he's on, but how did your bromance with Kurt Osiander start? <laughs> Dude, that's one that's been really funny over time, man. Yeah. So I, he was my third episode on the show and, uh, and we hit it up. We just hit it off so well, the first episode. And we were, we were talking a lot about, because I'm, I'm a huge in, uh, in, in the music. I love like metal and punk and all that. I grew up, I grew up listening to a lot of the same kind of music that he, that he's into. And, um, and so we were talking after the show um, about bands and stuff. And so he's like, dude, I'm going to send you, give me your, give me your number. I'm going to send you some, some, some things to listen to. And so we started just sort of doing this thing where we're trading music back and forth. I'm like, hey, have you heard of these guys? He's like, no, I don't know them. So then he comes back. Oh, that was great, man. It reminds me of this band. Check these guys out. I'm like, dude, that's great. That reminds me of these guys. And so we're just, we're sending music back and forth. And, um, and yeah, we just sort of kept up this, 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 uh, this, these, these, uh, conversations over, over text for a while. And then I had him on again. And then, uh, and each time I had him on, people were like, dude, this is like the funniest episode ever. Like and every time we do it, it gets funnier and funnier. And, uh, and Kurt's just one of those dudes, man. Like you said, he is like, people think that he's like, a people, people often ask me like, dude, is he, is that like a character he's putting on? Is that like, is that really, it's like, dude, that, that is just Kurt. That is just who he is and how he is. He is just this, this zero filter, hilarious, 
um, <laughs> old school guy. It, Kurt's kind of like if you, if you took a guy in like, you know, the thrash metal scene of San Francisco in 1984 and put him in a pod and just transferred him now to, to teleported him now, all of his thoughts about the world and worldviews and opinions and the way he talks. And it's all very non PC and it's very, uh, but he's like the nicest guy though. He's like the genuinely like this, this really sweet person. And he's, he's, he's one of the most generous guys I've ever met. And uh, he's the kind of guy that'll, that'll, that'll make a, a, an offensive joke to you about you just to ruffle your feathers to make you laugh. And then he'll, and then he'll immediately like, you know, give you something like he'll like, you know what I mean? He's, he's just, he's just that kind of guy. Like he, he, he's a really uh, funny and kind of uh, um, uh, endearing person that, that, that just, you know, he just has a really funny sense of humor and, and, and it's uh, he's a blast to be around. And um, so, yeah. So then I started getting him on, like, like, you know, it got to the point where it's like, dude, you got to keep getting Kurt on again. And like, so then we got to the point where we just had him on every month. So I think I've had Kurt <laughs> on the show like, I don't know, like 30 something times, maybe. I didn't even know at this point how many times he's been on. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then we he just, he just becomes sort of a regular and we just became really good buddies. And um, I ended up going out to his place. I actually just posted a video on Instagram the other day. I found a video on my old um, Google drive that I thought I'd lost. And it's uh, just us jamming in his, uh, in his, in his music room. You know, he's like he yeah, has yeah. A, he has like a drum kit and some guitars and stuff. And I'm not very good, but uh yeah, we were just playing stuff and it was just fun. And uh and yeah, it's that's been one of the one of the kind of the kind of the trippy things about doing this is I've I've randomly become buddies with Kurt Osiander, which is kind of funny. And you know, it's it's been a lot of fun. In fact, I, I gotta get him on again soon. It's been it's been a few I it's been like four or five months since I've had him on last. He's been kind of COVID, COVID has really hit San Francisco and obviously the West Coast like really bad. Their, their restrictions are a lot worse than a lot of other places. So there was a lot of concern about his school even being able to, it, along with all jujitsu schools, even being able to keep their doors open. I know that's been stressing him out and stuff. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, dude, yeah. Kurt's Kurt's Kurt is something else, man. And I'm, 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 he's, he's a great friend and a good person and, and just always a riot to be around. So that's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun kind of, that's, that's been a really cool, a really cool aspect of doing, doing the podcast is becoming friends with him. You're right. He's like the Archie Bunker of jujitsu. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, is that he, he doesn't, he, he's not he, he, like Kurt doesn't, he, 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 he says things because he enjoys seeing the look on people's face. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe he just said that. But, it, but he doesn't really mean like half the stuff he said. He just likes ruffling feathers because he thinks it's funny that people get offended. But then he immediately like, it's very clear. He's just kidding. He's just playing around, you know, and he yeah, has no bad intentions. Yeah. He just, he just enjoys, he enjoys shocking people. He's an, he's an old uh, he's an old metalhead, and he, you know, he 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 very much has that kind of um, mindset of like a, of a rock and roll. He's, he's like he, he, Kurt, Kurt's a guy that was in a metal band that stopped playing metal, but the band sort of mindset of, for him never really left. You know, he he still loves having fun and making jokes and kind of being crazy a little bit, and uh, and uh, you know, and as he just does it in jujitsu now. It's, it's kind of how it is. So he's he, he's definitely a, a unique a unique figure in our in our sport man and in our, in our community and uh yeah if you spend if you spend five minutes with him regardless of how you feel about his language and some of the stuff he says you, there's just no way you'll leave not liking kurt like you'll end up being like dude that guy i had him all wrong he is awesome this guy is just hilarious he's the nicest guy you know and uh yeah it's it's kurt's awesome dude yeah man i agree and it was uh you know his i think some of his stuff gets lost in video because you know when i went out there mark turner was kind of like you know, you, you might want to look him up for, and I was like, oh, I know exactly who he is, but <laughs> when he does the stuff in person, you could tell 
his energy and it, it's so different and it's not offensive yeah. at all. And you can tell he's a sweetheart. And it was funny because, uh, you know, I, he almost reminds me of like your uncle who always <laughs> has the same joke, but he, he likes yeah. it, but he keeps telling it. <laughs> but like he was in there and he's showing a move. Like we were doing a private and the class came in. And I almost said the joke, but he made like kind of an inappropriate joke. And he said it and he looked around and I was like, oh. and I laughed and I was the only one. Everybody else was like, and I was like, oh, whoops. Like like, but he, he, he appreciated that. I thought it was funny. So it's exactly like you were saying. He was like, I don't give a shit. He laughed. It was worth me it saying. Was worth it. It. Yeah, exactly. yeah, but he, uh, my, my brother's a, uh, a drummer. He plays for a bunch of like hardcore metal bands over the years. And I actually yeah. went with him to Brazil with Biohazard. Um, nice. And that, the guy from Biohazard, Billy, actually is the one who really, him and my friend Johnny got me into jiu-jitsu. Yeah, he's and a black he's belt. A black yeah. belt now. Yeah, man, you should definitely have him on the podcast. Oh, dude, I'd love, oh, I'd love well, to. I, I, could, I could set you up with that, man. Billy's oh, please do, awesome. man. Um, uh, dude, I'll, yeah, I'll give you a good shout out if you can help me put that together. That'd be awesome. Yeah, dude, you, got, you guys would talk metal and jiu-jitsu for hours, man. It'd be a great conversation. Hell yeah. No, I'd love to, man. I'd love to. You know, the other thing about Kurt, and as you, you know this because you've been to his seminar, but uh, dude, Kurt's an amazing instructor. He, he, he's yeah. a really, really good instructor. Like you go in and you just figure like okay he's more this personality than anything but then you start learning from him, you're like dude wow like he is he is a good teacher too though so he's yeah he's anyone anyone that goes through san francisco his school is called empire jujitsu i really i really recommend dropping in you'll have, you'll for sure have a good time and you'll learn a lot so yeah. jits and giggles i call it over there yeah 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 exactly jits and giggles exactly <laughs> well dude you, you've been awesome i appreciate you uh, giving me the time it was a blast talking to you you've been very generous uh Congrats on everything you're doing. Uh, in in closing, talk about how can people find you? How can people link up with you? Oh yeah, no, Nick, I really appreciate you having me, man. I've had a great time talking with you, man. I, I know we've been planning this for a few months, so I'm I'm stoked we finally got it done. And uh, yeah, you're a great interviewer, man. I appreciate you. Um, and uh, for anyone that wants to follow the show, yes, yeah, so we're on we're on all podcast all podcast platforms. So if you type in the Grappling Central podcast. On, on any podcast platform we are there we're also on youtube uh, that's where you can find the documentary so if you type in grappling central on youtube my channel will pop up uh, i'd really appreciate uh, if you hit subscribe uh, and then hit that little bell icon because i'm making everybody hit the little bell icon now i guess it doesn't count if they just subscribe right so <laughs> if you don't mind yeah if you don't mind hit the little bell icon and then um and then yeah hopefully you guys enjoy the show like i like like nick's like, like nick has said i've, I've got um over 450 episodes and each episode's with a, a respected figure from jujitsu and we just talk uh if, if you don't do jujitsu you might not enjoy the show so much because it really is like deep kind of nerd jujitsu conversation uh but if you train or you're interested in jujitsu then you'll probably you'll probably really like it uh so yeah just check it out and we i appreciate you guys tuning in definitely man well i love it thank you for the kind words and thank you for doing the podcast man i'll keep listening and i've already subscribed and i'll, I'll put obviously all your links and especially the links for the youtube channel and for the documentary in the show notes um, thanks very much, man. You've been awesome. I appreciate your time and I hope you have a great day. You too, Nick. Thanks so much, buddy. Let's do it again soon. Definitely, man. Thanks. Uh, all right, buddy. See ya. So what's it be?